everybody, and welcome to Submitted for Your Approval, a Twilight Zone podcast. I am Brandon Cruz, and with me today, our guest is producer, writer, and director of independent film. His most recent work is a short film heavily inspired by The Twilight Zone, titled The Recursion Theorem. He's also currently working on a narrative-based space exploration game called Gears of Eden. A special warm welcome to Mr. Ben Sledge. Hello, sir. Hello. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to have you. Uh, thank you so much for coming in uh, in, your, in your off hours. It's, it's 10 p.m. Eastern there. Yeah, no problem. We're going to you know, burn the late oil here and keep going. So <laughs> let's do it. All right. Excellent. Excellent. Um, th- thank you. I have to say it over and over again. I'm just always so thankful for, for people to come in and help me with the show. Um, you, uh, well, we'll get into the, the whole interview aspect a little bit later. Um, let's, I guess we'll get right into the show itself. Um, which is of course the lateness of the hour, which originally aired December 2nd of 1960, uh, stars John Hoyt as Dr. Loren. Um, which, uh, you know, spelled out, looks like Dr. Lauren. Thankfully I watched the episode again to, to see how they emphasize the, the end part of it. Mm. Um, he was in, he was in two episodes, this one and will the real Martian please stand up? Uh, and then Inger Stevens, Inger, Inger, mm. I think, uh, I think that's right. Yeah. As Jaina Loren, um, who she was in two episodes, obviously this one and the hitchhiker from season one. And uh, I thought it was interesting, just her, I, I didn't research as much about her on the, the first season, um, but it turns out she had a weird kind of uh, sad, depressing life, even though she was oh, no. fairly well known. So um, anyway, we're not, I'm not trying to bring it down. This episode is directed, directed by Jack Smite, who directed uh, three of the videotaped episodes and teleplay by Rod Serling. So... Uh, as far as the synopsis goes, we we see a uh, a Doctor Loren, his wife, who is who's getting this this wonderful back massage, just such a great back <laughs> massage by by a maid there, and their daughter Jaina is kind of getting a little uh, angry and annoyed about this stuff. Turns out, uh, all the servants in this house are robots built by Doctor Loren, and in, uh, Jaina doesn't like it. Uh, she eventually goes through the motions, gives the her dad an ultimatum, get, get rid of these servants or I'm going to leave this house. And the dad says, okay, I'll get rid of them. He does that. It doesn't satisfy her curiosity to ever leave the house. And that's when it's revealed to her that she is also a robot. And... Dun dun dun. dun 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 the very end of the episode they don't want to get rid of her that's it's her it's their daughter so what do they do they make Reprogram her, her. <laughs> exactly exactly uh so that that's the episode in a nutshell uh ben what did you think of this well, there's definitely some themes that I thought were interesting. I thought, you know, in terms of the execution, it, it was one of the videotaped episodes, and you ju- you can just tell that visually looking at it. And, um, you know, I, I, you probably know better than I that they did like a handful of these and then decided it wasn't worth, um, you know, trying to save the money uh, for the loss of quality they, they end up, you know, suffering. So that did stand out to me, and I was watching it on um, Amazon. So 
the the quality on that was you know not the greatest there was you know some of the like scan lines in there and some other problems with just some of the contrast and the darkness but um so you know there was that sort of technical quality aspect to it that I didn't think was the greatest and then you know the storyline I thought was interesting because you know in the end you know the Twilight Zone is often you know like a cautionary tale and things don't work out so well for the protagonist and in this episode though you know the the father and mother end up just reprogramming the girl and then going on with their <laughs> you know easy life so it, it was a little bit of an interesting message I thought at the end um and then it really just hinged on Serling's end narration to drive the point home more so than the you know actual actual narrative in the story and the outcome. Um, but definitely, you know, the the whole uh, you know android human aspect, and they do hint you know that question of you know what what does make something really alive or you know when when is something um, you know even artificial maybe considered being alive. Um, they kind of you know have to hurry through it to get, because it's you know they have their little block of thirty minutes, um, but it definitely you can see where things like Blade Runner um, took inspiration and you know that whole plotline's been done you know uh, a lot since then. So it's interesting looking back to see sort of a very early version of it. Right, right. Um, yeah, I, for some reason I, I wrote down I wrote down Westworld because that's you know a yeah. kind, of, kind of hot topic, right? And then, of course, you know, Terminator or whatever. I, I don't know why I completely forgot oh, about Blade Runner. Some Blade Runner, yeah. Yeah, oh, God, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so bad. <laughs> you know what? Let's let's cut it. Let's cut this episode. We'll start all over again. <laughs> um, yeah, no, Blade Runner, absolutely. You know, even uh, that whole question of wait, you know, are am am I am I an android, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely right. Um, you, and you I thought, you know. You know, one thing that Blade Runner really did with that question that uh, I, I thought they did well at the time was they sort of left it ambiguous. And so, like, that drove, you know, decades of debate of, you know, is Harrison Ford's character a machine or a man? Is he a replicant or is he human? Right. You know, we don't – that's, like, very briefly played out in the Twilight Zone episode. But, again, that's just sort of the constraints. I did think in terms of the writing, it was very – it was – it was just very straightforward. So, you know, they didn't really hide the cards any, like they come out right away and say, these other servants are robots. And then like that big reveal later on when she finds out she's a robot, it's, it's maybe not as dramatic or satisfying as it could be, or maybe if it was left open-ended a little more, that um, could have been more interesting, but it was very, it's very self-contained and very closed in. And, you know, even the environment sort of reflected that where, you know, they never, she wants to go outside. They never get to go outside. So there's, you know, also themes of isolationism in there and um, just sort of, I think, comfort and taking the easy way versus, you know, really going out and exploring or really having challenges and difficulties to help you grow. So again, very interesting themes, but maybe not the what the most well-executed um, Twilight Zone episode. But um, what were your thoughts on it? Well, uh, you, you mentioned, um, you know, the, these different themes and do you think that maybe because they had, they, they tried to put so many different kind of themes in there that they didn't, uh, they didn't use the economy of the, of the writing or the time to really explore one good one. They did kind of like a jack of all trades rather than, than, than just focus on one theme particularly. 
Yeah, I think it's hard. I think like the really good Twilight Zone episodes are one where they really focus on you know one theme, and it's it easily translates into something in the world, the real world that um, you know usually was a, a hot social issue at the time. So you know here I I I do see bits of that, but I think they did just sort of take it in different directions, and you know it makes you wonder what the genesis of the story is. So, you know sometimes the other story ideals are sort of cobbled together um, in that process. And definitely as Twilight Zone went along, this was still pretty early on, but um, you know, definitely as they went, went along, they were struggling for ideals and sort of combining and, and synthesizing different uh, story elements together. So, but I think Twilight Zone in general, like, you know, it, they, they did a lot uh, of work and produced a lot of episodes in a short season. So, you know, they're not all going to be a hundred percent on target, but right. I think overall the quality, you know, still holds up pretty well today. And then, you know, even this episode, you know, some of the things they are dealing with are, you know, are still story elements we're exploring today, especially with, you know, AI exploding now. And looking ahead, it's not too far down the road where you can see that machines are more and more taking over, you know, things that we would do in our daily lives. So this world's even closer to us now than it was way back then. And it's, it really shows you how ahead they were thinking for the time. Right. Yeah, we're still we're still catching up. Yeah, I I got an email just the other day from LinkedIn with an article saying why your job's not going to get replaced by robots anytime soon. It's like, mm. oh, thanks, thanks LinkedIn, staying <laughs> staying ahead of the curve there. Um, you you mentioned a little bit earlier the the easy way, you know, uh, as far as as themes go, and the you know the the doctor and his wife they're using robots just kind of as a just a toy or or you know a new surround sound for their living room almost right there um and and Jana mentions before she realizes she's a robot that you know you guys you guys aren't taking risks you're not you're just sitting there the, the her mom was like moaning so obnoxiously with his back. So obnoxiously. <laughs> like, like if my if my if Chelsea, my wife, was making those noises, like just eating food, I'd be like, "Oh, come on, stop, stop doing that." <laughs> um, but anyway, so you know, t- you know, using technology to just kind of, yeah, like, not, not taking your risks, just um. What's the what's the word where they just they don't do anything they're just stagnant right? Yeah yeah they're not growing they're just stagnant but you know they didn't really show the negative effects of that for the parents um, so I, I thought that was interesting you just sort of see that yearning through Jaina of you know wanting to see this outside world and you know she kept saying she wanted to be like normal people and yeah. um, so I, again I think the messaging there was a little bit mixed or maybe a little bit muddied or not clear but you you definitely you know, get the feeling that even though we're not seeing a negative effect for the parents necessarily, that, you know, anything that's too, too bad or anything too much that they're missing out on, you know, there's definitely a, a negative tone to, you know, them taking this life where they're just isolating themselves and not participating. You know, he says um, that he's retired from the world. So I thought that was really interesting, but yeah, um, yeah I thought seeing some of the consequences of what they're missing out on maybe could have, driven that message forward a little further yeah um maybe one of the consequences of of the show and and maybe this is a stretch but it's maybe 
not trying to question your existence so much <laughs> like like the 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 dangers of of saying why am i here because maybe you'll end up finding out we're in a simulation somewhere right maybe and yeah i thought that much more the negative consequence was placed on the daughter when she is you know questioning her reality and questioning this world and her participation in it. But then, you know, at the end, she ends up getting taken offline for sort of challenging the norm. So, um, yeah, definitely interesting, uh, you know, solution or, or conclusion to the problems presented. Yeah. They, they say in, in the episode that they, they program all the servants with memories of, of all mm-hmm. these different, these things. Right. But it seemed to me that, it felt like all the servants knew that they were robots, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, and and so the question I had was, why did they, why did they give all the the servants the ability to know that they're robots, but then withhold that from Jaina? Yeah, I don't know. It's almost. Um... You know, it, it's almost like an Edward Scissorhands thing where they maybe they created her more uniquely to be her their child. So, uh, you know, they they gave her this special treatment and, and wanted her to be more human. But um, and maybe because of the, you know, she wasn't she didn't have a task to fulfill necessarily. They they created her to, you know, be a daughter to them and to fulfill, you know, that which was missing in their lives where all the others were created to fulfill a certain purpose, you know, they, they made a point of saying that, you know, the cook was only ever going to be a cook and could only cook and the maid could only be a maid. And so um, it seems like she's maybe a little more complex and that, you know, she doesn't have a function to fulfill necessarily. She's supposed to be, you know, this representation of a, a real person. So yeah, um, it, it ties in more to, you know, some of these other stories that we've been talking about. And I, I think Ex Machina is, is another good one to bring up. Um, but you know all, all those stories where you you know the question of what is life and what is real and and the others the servants didn't seem like they really had that spark of individuality or life they seemed very machine or very robotic um, even though he says that the father says that you know they do have some intelligence um, and some ability to grow but I definitely think you know the daughter is on a completely new level. Yeah. Um, do you, do you think because at the end they make her a maid, uh, a, a, a back rubbing maid, do you, oh, man. Do, you, do you think that like knowing like they, I'm assuming that they, they loved her like a daughter when she was acting as their daughter. Right. Um, is it, doesn't it just seem know. a little bit, doesn't it seem just a little bit cruel that they're it's, like, yeah. Yeah. It's very cruel. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I don't know. They just like sort of repurposed her and and selfishly like you know brought her back into the servants. And I, and I guess all the other servants are still gone. Like you know, it, it didn't really say what he did in the basement to them. Like you think maybe he would just shut them off and then he could turn them on later. But they still seem to be you know disappeared at the end. So uh, maybe he chopped them up. Yeah, I mean, you know. I know back in my my grandparents' day, when they had kids, they had kids, you know, to help with chores and, uh, you know, take care of the farm and stuff like that. And I joke still that I had a son so he can mow the lawn. Uh, but maybe maybe uh, Jaina in this case, maybe that's going a step too far. 
It's interesting. And yeah, there's definitely been, you know, a shift in, you know, in parenting in, you know, the last you know, half century. So um, a different worldview. But yeah, it, it's definitely sort of sad for Jane in the end. She just ends up, you know, giving it's sort of sad that the news that she is artificial is so devastating to her she sort of just shuts down and then you know the parents solution to that is well you know (laughs) she can't be fixed and she won't be happy so we'll just turn her into like this mindless robot and yet that's enough to make the parents happy like just to have her back rubbed and so yeah I, i don't know it's really interesting it makes you wonder like what really were they looking for in having a daughter anyway and you know, I'm sure that's a, a lot of the you know ideals that they wanted to explore too. Is you know, what is that uh, freedom? You know, when you have a child, there's you know they're not a robot, so you have to give them the freedom to you know be who they are and who they want to be, and you you can't you know try to make them into your mold. So mm. I, I think part of the episode definitely seemed to be speaking about you know, she was sort of experiencing that desire to have freedom and to be her own person and to be unique. Uh, and the parents didn't seem to be able to want to allow that or to handle that. So they tried to make her happy, but they, they definitely wanted to contain her um, because they were afraid to let her go out into the world, which I think any, you know, parent would relate to. But, um, you know, it, it just doesn't turn out so well for her in the end, unfortunately. <laughs> And you and you would think that as a as a doctor who clearly knows how to program memories into robots, that he could just do some kind of switch or you know edit some lines of code and say, you know what, she doesn't want to go anywhere else. She wants to stay here at the house. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, I don't know. It's a bit of oversight, I think, or maybe my suspension of disbelief. Um, but, uh, you know, the, when you watch things like that and you come up with plot holes and you're like, oh, why don't they do that? Oh, yeah, do that? yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, also made me wonder if there was a connection to the small wonder universe. I, I don't know if you ever are aware of a <laughs> dude, <laughs> show from the 80s. <laughs> uh, I, I watched I watched the, the series premiere of Small Wonder like a couple <laughs> months ago. And I was like, God, this is so 80s. <laughs> yeah, it definitely was. <laughs> You'll have to throw a uh, you know like a YouTube video out for everyone to look at. <laughs> it, uh, guys, if you haven't watched Small Wonder, you you have to <laughs> compare uh, and contrast to the to this episode of Twilight Zone. Yeah, it's actually a sequel to to this one. <laughs> um, it, it's like it's the Fraser, it's the Fraser of the Twilight Zone. Yeah, there we go. Um, all right, man. Well, uh, are there any other thoughts you have about the episode? Um, no, I, I don't think so. Um, what did you think overall? Like, where would you rate it sort of in uh, the other episodes? Um, you know, I, because I like kind of sent like sentience and AI take, um, you know, advancing to a point. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like those stories a lot. Um, I don't necessarily like the videotaping, but you know, I, I blame that on the, uh, the station, not necessarily Serling himself. Yeah. Um, but I, I would I would say as I would give it a seven and a half uh, automaton robots out of ten. <laughs> nice. Uh, and and the half is like one, just like the torso just sitting in the basement after he, <laughs> after he chops it up. Yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, what about you? I'm I'm probably somewhere like around a six, six and a half, something like that. Okay. Um. The, the, obviously, it's it's a little bit above average. Um. It's not. It's not up there in the the Twilight Pantheon, Twilight Zone Pantheon. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, cool. Awesome. Well, well, thank you so much for, for talking to me about the episode. Oh, it's um, a pleasure. Uh, yeah. Um, let's, I want to ask you about a few things. Um, your, your recent film, your 30 minute short, uh, the recursion theorem. Uh, I just want to say awesome stuff. Uh, clearly there's some, there's some clear twilight zone influence in there. Hitchcock, uh, there's a good shining, shining influence in there as well. <laughs> definitely. definitely. Uh, I, I won't, I won't, I don't want to spoil anything cause I want people to, to go out there and see it. Um, but what, can you tell us a little bit about the movie, uh, like kind of the, 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 the plot, the genesis of it? Yeah, so uh, the recursion theorem is very much Twilight Zone inspired, very much Hitchcock inspired, as you said. And, you know, for the limitations of an independent film, I had decided early on that we wanted to do a story that involved only one location and one actor. So I sat down to write a screenplay, you know, really with those limitations in mind and just keeping it very minimalistic and initially targeting it to be around 10 to 15 minutes. Um, as things do, it continued to grow. And, you know, as we got uh, more crew members involved and as we really locked our cast member in, uh, we realized we could do more. So we expanded it um, um, about 10 more minutes. So the, the film now is about 26, 27 minutes in total. Um, and it's really, you know, about this character who wakes up in a place he's not familiar with. And so as the audience, we're sort of waking up with him in the story. And he's exploring the environment, trying to figure out really who he is, why he's in this place. And, you know, a lot of it is, um, it's hard to get into without spoiling it, but yeah. um, the, the themes that we wanted to explore, um, you know, actually contrast a little bit to the Twilight Zone we're discussing. So um, for me, like a lot of the story is about struggle and how, you know, we need struggle to define us and to help us to grow and to progress forward. And even, you know, how, you know, we all have uh, different goals in life and different things we want to achieve. And, you know, either we meet those goals or we fall short and then we develop new goals and we keep going on. And, you know, it's not so much whether or not we complete the goals because at some point, you know, we all reach an end and we still have things left we want to accomplish. So the, the idea that, you know, heavily influenced the story is, you know, what makes this person's life have value, you know, even though he's alone and he's isolated and he's following some goals, you know, he's trying to figure out who he is and what this place is. Um, and I really just wanted to explore sort of abstractly, like how do you give someone's life meaning when like they have such little in front of them? And in a lot of ways, like, I think it just applies to all of us because we're all sort of in that same boat. Like we, we wake up in this life and we're not a hundred percent sure how we got here. We all have different ideas and we're sort of struggling through it. And we're trying to, you know, figure out who we are and why we're here. Um, and the, what gives us meaning is not so much that we get a hundred percent answers to those. Cause that doesn't happen for any of us. Like we all, you know, we all still move on at some point without knowing a hundred percent, any of the answers that we're looking for. But it's that journey and that process of struggle and the fact that we question and we pursue, like those are the things that, that give us meaning um, and add value to our lives. And the fact that we can share that with other people just like, you know, greatly enhances it. So <laughs> in a nutshell, like those are some of the big picture things we're exploring. And it's sort of filtered down into this little story about a guy who's stuck in a room and trying to get out. And there's some phenomenon that's keeping him there. And, you know, you, 
a lot of it is left open-ended because I prefer movies that are open-ended and, um, and very much in Twilight Zone, you know, style, there are hints throughout the room that sort of tell you a little bit, at least what I'm thinking as the writer. And, you know, I, I don't know if you noticed in this episode of Twilight Zone, but they kept like focusing on the clocks and all the rooms. So it was just sort of that reinforcement that, you know, uh, of machine and time and, um, so we try to do some things like that in the recursion theorem where, you know, we have some very obvious symbols that are in the film and then we have some others that are more subtle. So, um, but yeah, um, that's probably as much as I can say <laughs> without, uh, like giving anything away that's too key or too important to the film. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with, with that assessment. Uh, uh, it, it, it is, it is really good. Um, and I do recommend it. When, when is that going to come out officially? Well, this is a point of contention, like between myself and a couple of the other producers. So, you know, I'm in the mindset of I want to get it on the the release it online right away because you know we can drive people to it and get them to watch it. Right now, we do have a trailer people can check out, um, and we might do a sort of private screening for people who um, subscribe to our newsletter. So that's the best way to see it right now, uh, because we're still a couple of the other producers, and and I I tend to agree with them a little bit. But we want to target a few more festivals. Um, so there's just the struggle of if you're submitting to festivals, you can't have it sitting online for everyone to see. Yeah. So that's sort of the the limbo we're in right now. Um, we're we have our next festival is not until March, so. It'll definitely be sometime um, probably mid next year when we release it online, if not a little bit later. Um, gotcha. But like I said, I think we're going to try to find a way to uh, allow people to see it that have signed up for our newsletter or have um, invested in the project. So, you know, we can't ask people to just wait forever. And it, it really makes it hard for us to promote the film, too, when we're like, hey, we got this cool film. We want you guys to see it, but you can't actually watch it yet. So right. um, I, th I think that's our solution right now is we'll we'll host private screenings that uh, where people on our mailing list will receive a link in the password where they can go and watch it. But it won't be out there for everyone to see it. So that still lets us submit it to some festivals and hopefully get it to you know play a few other places. Right, right. Yeah, I, I, I can imagine that just, you know, having to do that kind of balancing act between you're really excited, you created this this uh, work of art, and you want, to, you want to get it out there, you want everybody to see it, but you also want to maximize people, you want to maximize the, the audience, so... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, so I, 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 I get you on that. Yeah, it's a lot of hurry up and wait, and, and the whole, you know, business is that way, but... Um, We'll be excited to get it out there. The, the festival we have in March is in Green Bay, so it's the Green Bay Film Festival if anyone is in that area of the world and wants to come see it. Um, and we've had about, uh, I don't know, four or five showings already, so we probably want to do maybe anywhere from one to three, four or five more, something like that. Um, and then we'll call it quits and just you know, take any laurels we have and, and release it publicly online. So that's the plan right now. Okay, cool, cool. And and they can sign up for the newsletter over at recursiontheorem.com, right? That's right. Thank you. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. Now I got got it all written down. <laughs> um all right. So I'll I'll reemphasize those links uh that link uh, at the end of the next question or maybe a couple more questions. Uh you also are in gaming, right? You're developing a game called Gears of Eden. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited about this project. And, you know, this came about after doing this film and we would, you know, this film had a really long tail on it where we were in post-production for a long time and we're working with people overseas to wrap up some of the effects. So, you know, I wasn't ready to jump on another film project yet. And, you know, putting a, a film project together is, as you can imagine, just a ton of work and getting a lot of people involved. And so I, I wanted to sort of, you know, not being ready to jump into another film, I wanted to you know, look into telling some other stories. And, you know, at first I just started putting other screenplays together for stories I wanted to tell. And then I started thinking more and more about the possibility of, you know, telling one of these stories through uh, a video game instead of uh, a film, like something that would have an interactive factor to it. So we built a small team. We're about um, 10 to 12 people right now. And we're working on this game called Gears of Eden, which interestingly enough, you know, also ties into sort of this episode. It's, it's a focuses on a world in the distant future, you know, over a thousand years in the future where there are these machines waking up with sentience um, out deep in space in another solar system. And the player uh, plays as one of these machines that has just woken up and, the story sort of just unfolds as you're, uh, you know, exploring and discovering others like yourself, and you eventually discover this whole machine society that exists. And there's a lot of questioning um, and searching and, and trying to figure out what their past is and why are they alive and, you know, what is their destiny? Why do they have this awareness? And humans aren't really around um, at this point, so some of them believe in humans as almost a myth. Um, others sort of worship humans and think humans gave them life and others believe in a machine uh, deity that gave them life. So, you know, it's really this really fantastic playground we have to basically examine ourselves through the eyes of this machine culture and sort of question a lot of our uh, beliefs and society and just the things that, um, that we do as humans, but we're seeing it reflected in this other story. And, you know, we have a really great backstory of, you know, why those machines are actually there and what's going on and, and what's happening in the future. And But a lot of that um, is sort of hidden and the player unlocks that story as they progress. So, you know, we're, we were definitely inspired by games like Portal and Half-Life in terms of the storytelling. And then in terms of the mechanics, it's uh, it's inspired a lot like by games like Minecraft and even Kerbal Space Program. So. Yeah. It's sort of you know going for those people who are sciencey and techy, um, but like that crafting survival type of gameplay. But those type of games usually don't have like a very deep story involved. So yeah. we we wanted to take that gameplay experience and then put it into this world where we've created this really rich story and let players sort of unlock that story at their own pace. So you know you have that crafting sort of exploring and building mechanic that you can do as you at your leisure and then when you're ready to take the next step forward you can go into the missions and sort of complete the story missions and unlock more of the story so we're excited to see how it plays out we're still very early in the development process right now so um it's very early on but i, I think there's a lot of potential and we're really excited for you know telling the story yeah uh I, I there are some screenshots out there um of of what you guys are doing and i i think it's really cool as i mentioned before the whole sentience thing and uh, I mean, obviously, this episode turns out to be a pretty good uh, tie into that. Uh, yeah, it does. <laughs> I, 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 didn't, I didn't realize that when I, when I offered it to you, but it <laughs> um, worked out well. But yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I think that's I think that's really cool about the whole um, the, the crafting, the when you, considering like Minecraft and stuff like that. Um, but really, 
really tying it together with an overarching story. Uh, Because I've always felt like that's something that is kind of missing from Minecraft, right? Like just creating your own story is fun, um, but sometimes you, you need that kind of guiding hand, right? To say like, hey, this is what this world is about not you filling in the blanks. I mean, yeah, and that's what, you know, we really want to bring sort of a crafted and intentional piece to it. And, you know, myself and a lot of other people involved in the game, we we played No Man's Sky. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but yeah. we, we sort of had that same feeling of, you know, there's really not much of a story here and all the character interactions are sort of strange and very surface and very weak. And, um you know, it, it sort of like fails to create this believable lived-in world. So, you know, for us going into this project, you know, we started before that game came out, um, but we had already decided that what we want is to have this really rich and detailed world um, where we can really tell a story we want to tell, but do it through gameplay. So we don't want to have like a bunch of just animatic screens come up to tell a story. We want the story to sort of be told through the gameplay and in the background and in your exploration. And, you know, we felt like Valve sort of have, has done that the best in terms of the, the storytelling that we want to do, mm-hmm. um, where there's a very rich world there and a very rich story, but it doesn't hit you over the head with it. It's sort of in the background and a lot of it is delivered. You know, there are some that are delivered through cutscenes, but there's a lot that's just delivered through the ambiance and just through you know, things that you uncover through your gameplay. So that's sort of the tone that we're heading down. Um, And our our plan right now is we're doing a very early demo to sort of showcase what we want to do and sort of the look and feel we're going for. So we're we're doing this very limited prototype version of the game. And we're hoping to have that done by April of next year. And we'll put that out there. Hopefully we'll get some interest from that. Hopefully we'll get some interest before that. We'll do some alpha waves um, coming up very soon. So we're going to start getting pieces of the game out to people and getting feedback. And we want definitely to have a very interactive experience with our audience and, and collect feedback and let people sort of shape where we're going with it. So we offer a lot of opportunities for people to get involved with polls and uh, we do, we push a lot out on social media and we're, we're really eager to hear back from people. So um, that's our plan. We hope to get that out there. And then once the demo, if that's successful, we get a lot of people in, we'll definitely explore further and hopefully bring more. Excellent, excellent. Um, and and how the the website for that? How do people get a hold of you there or, or your team there? So the website is gearsofeden.com, okay. and they can reach us there. We're most active um, probably on Twitter. So again, just look for at Gears of Eden on Twitter. We're on Facebook and Instagram with the same names as well. So um, you can definitely find us. And I would say, you know, get on Twitter and get on the website. Um, Gears of Eden also has a newsletter sign up um so uh that's where we're going to look for alpha testers and the people want to enroll there they can um enroll for the alpha testing and they'll get weekly or um, bi-weekly updates um, and we also have opportunities for there if they want to you know back the project at an early stage uh, we have some opportunities and some rewards for that okay excellent excellent <laughs> yeah thanks for letting me plug <laughs> no 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 problem that's uh i mean th- i i like to have so many different types of, of people here from all walks of life. And, uh, you know, everything that everybody does is so important. Um, it's important for other people to see what you're doing. Right. Um, it it, it means, it means a lot to me to, to push as, as much as pull. That that makes sense. What am I saying? Uh, I I do, I do have uh, one last question. It's not really a question. So I don't actually know how I'm gonna phrase it. Um, 
I saw that you just did a Reddit AMA. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I read it and uh, I read it on Reddit. Oh, is, <laughs> is that what that means? Oh, it just clicked. Um, I got it. I got it. I get it now. <laughs> <laughs> all this time, and it finally, finally sinks in. Um, but in it, so the Reddit, you actually talk about. Uh, I, I don't know how long ago this was, uh, but you had a, ended up having a kidney transplant, right? Yeah. And, and and you and you you came back from that. It was kind of uh, a, a rough time in your life. You came back, pretty inspirational, and now you're you are using that to go into your work. Right. Um, and, and you mentioned, you mentioned the recursion theorem, uh, the, the themes about, you know, life having meaning and, and, and such have your experiences with, um, you know, coming back from, from the, the kidney transplant, has that, has that really kind of defined how your work is, is panning out now? Yeah, I think it's definitely helped me to focus on like what I want to try to accomplish. And, you know, I had the, the kidney transplant was 10 years ago and I, I didn't know I had any problems with my kidneys. Um, earlier in that year, um, I had gone to the doctor because I had an ear infection and I, I just asked them to do some blood work to check things like cholesterol and stuff like that. So, um, they called me in the next day and, you know, very long story, but, um, I ended up finding out that I was in the final stages of kidney disease and I had like a few months left of kidney function. Um, so I was all of a sudden on this track for being worked up for dialysis and uh, kidney transplant. And, you know, the whole time I, I never feel sick or anything. So it's, it, you know, I'm kind of just trusting, you know, that these numbers on a piece of paper that doctors are showing me, you know, actually mean I'm sick. Um, but, you know, of course I was, and I, I, Fortunately, um, I had surgery for dialysis, but I didn't need it. And I um, was fortunate enough to get a transplant from my sister. And, you know, it took a few years to recover from that just physically. And, and you know, yeah, I think emotionally it takes, you know, just as long as a little bit longer. And, you know, the big thing for me coming out of that experience was, you know, I, I have this extra time. I don't know how long it is. None of us know how long it is. I'm doing really well. I'm healthy. But, you know, I want to try to utilize my potential and I want to, you know, make an impact in the lives of other people. And, you know, for me, the thing that had, has always been a passion for me and I haven't been very good at, um, or I hadn't been very good at pursuing it fully was just, you know, telling stories and working with teams of people to sort of lead creative projects. And, you know, I really enjoy uh, bringing people together and, and seeing the potential in everyone and pushing them towards a common goal and a common creative goal. And I think what's neat is on, on these type of projects, like everyone grows and everyone comes away from it, knowing something about themselves that they didn't quite know going into it. Um, so to me, like that experience of working with others and sort of pushing them to new levels um, and then pulling me to new levels, like that's very rewarding and like being able to do that while, you know, telling a story that, you know, hopefully other people relate with on some level um, and find meaning in. Um, like, I, I think that's like a worthwhile use of my time and talents more so than just like, you know, going to my regular nine and five and clocking in and getting my paycheck, um, which I am still in that world. But, you know, I'm trying to make more use of my free time and, you know, hopefully work to transition where I can do sort of this creative storytelling in a more full-time capacity. So, 
Um, I've been on that journey for the last few years, and Recursion Theorem was definitely the first big step in that. I'm hoping you know Gears of Eaton represents another big step forward in that. Um, but it, it all depends on you know our ability to to find people out there that we can connect with and share our stories with. Um, so you know that's what I'm working hard to do, and I'm um, I'm definitely enjoying that right now, and I'm enjoying the process, and very much in keeping with, you know, the recursion theorem. I don't think it's about, you know, whether or not you meet that end goal necessarily. It'd be great to get there, but, you know, having that target to aim for, like, really just means a lot, and uh, really just adds a lot of meaning. So, you know, I, my, sort of my other lesson out of that is, you know, we should all go to the doctor and, like, get our blood worked, and don't, you know, I had been pretty healthy, um, through my young adult years, so I didn't go to the doctor very much. Um, but, you know, if I'd caught it a little earlier, maybe I could have delayed it or, you know, uh, had some other treatment options. So um, those are my two lessons for everyone listening. Go see your doctor and then, you know, make sure you're you're thinking about how you're investing the time you have because you don't know how long it is. And so, yeah. you know, make sure that you have that target out there that you're pursuing. Um, and, and then, you know, like I said, it's, it's okay if you don't hit it, but if you're chasing it and that's giving you meaning and that's giving you purpose and you're doing that with other people, then I think you're like most of the way there. That that's a, that's a wonderful message. And, and, and honestly, you know, talking about bringing on people and, and exploring their, their projects and what they work on, whether they work on anything or not, um, everything you said there, that's, that's a big part of why I, I do this. So Awesome. Um, nice. So I really, I really do appreciate you. That message, uh, your your message of hope and tenacity, and in living living whatever your dream is. Uh, I think that's great. Yep. I hope we can all do it. All right. Well, well. Thank you so much, Ben, for for coming on the show. Uh, I I really do appreciate it. No problem. I'm a big fan of Twilight Zone. So anytime you you know, need someone to fill in or um, you, you need another guest, let me know. And love to do it again. All right, you, you you got it. You got it. I'm I'm, I'm putting a tally mark next to your name. <laughs> awesome. Probably my my top two TV shows of all time were Twilight Zone and Lost. So you know, if you ever start a Lost um, thing up, let me know that as well. Oh man, I, I I don't know I don't know if I can. Uh, my 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 buddy on my other uh, podcast. If I ever started a Lost podcast without him, he would he would disown Ooh. me. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> uh. All right. Uh, last thing before I forget, I would never, I would never forget. I can never do that. What, what is your your social? How can people get a hold of you? Okay, they can get a hold of uh, of me. I'm, I'm at SledgeWeb on Twitter. That's my personal account. I do push a lot of the film project stuff out on there, and a little bit of Gears of Eden out on there. Um, but on Twitter, yeah, um, at SledgeWeb, you can also, if you're interested in the game, uh, look us up on Twitter at Gears of Eden. And then real quick, the websites for both projects, uh, recursiontheorem.com and gearsofeden.com. So those are probably the best ways to get in touch. There's contact forms there, um, but definitely, you know, otherwise hit me up on Twitter. And of course, I will have links to all of those things in the show notes for the show. Uh, you can get that in a few different ways. The main way is www.apatheticenthusiasm.com slash submitted dash for dash your dash approval. I really should make that easier for people. Uh, but you can also hit me up on Facebook, facebook.com slash S4YA podcast, Instagram, S4YA underscore podcast. Also Twitter, 
at S4YA underscore podcast. Email S4YA podcast at gmail.com. You can give me a call, 860-G-O-T-Z-POD. That's 860-GO-T-Z-POD. Someone will eventually give me a voicemail, and I will enjoy it immensely. Uh, And head out to iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere podcasts are sold to hear more episodes. And hey, if you want to uh, shoot a rating, I would love it. I would super appreciate it. But you don't have to. Really, if you send me a tweet or an Instagram message, uh, I will respond the heck out of those things because I really appreciate all of you uh, listening and paying attention to the show. So again, thank you so much. Until next week, I am Brandon Cruz, and this is Submitted for Your Approval.